0: idols, because that's what happens this morning in our text as we look at the events surrounding the golden calf. Specifically, in our Broken Heroes series, um, I had the honor of continuing the series with you, uh, looking at the life of Aaron. Aaron, the first priest of Israel. And uh, we're going to look at um, the events surrounding the golden calf and how Aaron's People-pleasing nature led the people into sin. Um, I want to begin first uh, just by sharing this uh, picture uh, that kind of depicts the events of the golden calf. This is a, a painting from Nicholas Poussin in 1634. It's entitled The Adoration of the Golden Calf. And, and I want to share this um, just to give us a visual of what's happening um, in this account over uh, Exodus 32, 33, and 34. Um, there's so many themes and emotions that we can see through this picture that we'll feel as we go through the text this morning. But certainly, you see in the focal point uh, the calf itself, and we'll talk about why a calf. What was the what was the deal with that? Um, you see a lot of uh, partying and and frivolity, and then we see Aaron uh, there in the in the white robe, basically like here you go, this is what you wanted. Um, it's hard to see, but up in the left corner there, uh, up in the left corner of the of the painting, we see Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the tablets. And I don't know for you, but I get a really foreboding sense in this painting. Do you feel that in this? Um, kind of the darkness, the clouds, there's, there's uh, some light in this, but there's there kind of is that sense that something very troubling is coming. And so um, we'll keep that as our backdrop as we work through this this morning. Um, I was, um, I'm grateful to be able to, to bring God's word to you, and I'm grateful to speak on this topic. Um, as I was talking with Pastor Luke about the series of broken heroes, I, I jumped at this particular passage in this person. Why? Well, um, Aaron is more than just uh, the older brother of Moses. He's also, as I said, the first priest of Israel. And in my role in the Church of Lutheran Brethren, every day I have an opportunity to talk with pastors in the CLB. And guess what? It's a struggle. Ministry is a struggle. We all struggle every day. Um, Choose today who you will serve. And as we wrestle with all of the temptations and the things of this life, and certainly all of us as people-pleasers, Um, I I felt like almost starting today's sermon like a 12-step group saying, Hi, my name is Phil, and I'm a people pleaser. Because that would have been an appropriate way to start, because anyone who leads another, not just people who stand up in front, but anyone who leads another, whether in the home, in the marketplace, in any place of community and school, there is a temptation to please others. To build our identity and our security around how we will feel by making someone else feel good. And that's what's happening here this morning. So the opportunity here to share God's truth and grace for us today. Where is our hope for all of us who struggle in this? Who on the one hand long to praise God and serve him on the other. We feel this tug in the moment to feel that pleasure that we get when someone makes us Feel like the hero Um, so the story of the golden calf is a story of of the sin of idolatry specifically the trap of people pleasing but it's also a story of confession forgiveness and reconciliation Uh, and we'll look at that through the lens of god's amazing grace for the nation of israel then as it is for us today So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your presence with us this day. Thank you for this community of faith. Thank you for this family, the body of Christ. Help us to enter into these historical events and see your heart of forgiveness. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we look at the, the story of the golden calf, let's, let's first look at some important context around this. So after God delivers Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he brings them to Mount Sinai, and God gave them the Ten Commandments. Uh, and we heard the first one this morning, it was very timely in the children's message. Uh, Moses told the people all that God had commanded, and we find that in Exodus 20, and we see it again repeated uh, in Deuteronomy 5. But let's refresh ourselves this morning so that we feel the weight of the law today. So I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to read together the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness. The second commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The third commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. The fifth commandment, you shall not murder. The sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. The seventh commandment, you shall not steal the eighth commandment: You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The ninth commandment: You shall not covet your neighbor's house. And the Tenth commandment: You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his man-servant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is God's word. You may be seated. The Ten Commandments is the summary of all of God's law. So what do the people of Israel say when they hear this? We'll do it. We'll do what God said. So then God makes a blood covenant with Israel. Moses writes all these things down. It's not yet in stone tablets. He writes them down in what's called the Book of the Covenant. Moses took the Book of the Covenant and read it to all the people. How do they respond? We'll do it. Everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Now we will see God make a blood covenant. So Moses builds an an, an altar. He sacrifices burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And then Moses took the blood from those offerings and sprinkled it on who? The people. Imagine being there. God says some things. We'll say we'll do them. We get sprinkled by blood. You think you're going to forget that? I'm not. No way. Exodus 24, 8. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all the Ten Commandments and the book of of the covenant. A covenant was a promise. It was a promise to keep the words in the book of the covenant. But a blood covenant was more than a solemn promise. You see, blood is a sign of life. By making a blood covenant, it's the same as saying, if I don't keep this promise, may I die. So the result of not keeping the blood covenant was death. Now, that's an important context for today's events as we look at what happens with the golden calf. It's a story of God's forgiveness. Remember, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's speaking with God 40 days and 40 nights. He's learning about the commandments. And about the tabernacle. And Moses is given two stone tablets of God's law. He's up on Mount Sinai. And now he's coming down from the camp. So, you ready? Here we go. Here's the story Exodus 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, how long? 40 days. 40 days! The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what has become of him. Very quickly, notice this, verses 2, 3, and 4. So Aaron said to them, Take off your rings of gold, and in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. Remember that phrase. And made a golden calf. Okay, why a calf? I mentioned to that earlier when we saw the the painting from from Poussin. In Egypt, they worshiped the Apis bull. It was part of the culture. And bear in mind, Israel was in Egypt, part of that culture being enculturated for over 400 years. So this was becoming a part of them. I I hope you can maybe resonate growing up in a Western culture that sometimes our culture can get somewhat uh, blurred between what is part of the culture and what is really part of God's law, God's word. And so this apis bowl has something that was part of their culture. They would hold sacred ceremonies in Egypt for the bowl. If the bowl moved a certain way, it spoke favor and direction of like, is there good things coming or is there hardship coming? Um, there was a sense of blessing. There was a sense of harm that they feared could come. This was the practice that they saw. This is what was modeled for them. So it's it's no surprise that in their moment of fear and isolation, they returned to what they knew. They returned to what they knew in Egypt. And so in verse 4, they say, These are your gods. Aaron and the other priests, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Unbelievable. But it gets worse. Verses 5 and 6. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose to play. And because we're a family church, I will not elaborate further on that. So Moses is on top of Mount Sinai. God told Moses to go down to the people. He told Moses what the people had done. Verses seven and eight. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So the Lord is understandably angry. Imagine marrying someone And 40 days later, they leave you. That's, in effect, what's happened here. Verse 11, but Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, Did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them with the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. What a, I mean, what a mediator. (laughs) And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Moses mediates this broken relationship and prays for God's mercy. He asks God to have compassion and not to bring disaster upon the people. And amazingly, the Lord relented. The, the Hebrew word here is, is actually, it means to <sighs> parents and grandparents, you've maybe done that once or twice, when your children have disappointed us, exasperated us, we sigh deeply. It also means to have compassion, to be with passion, to, to feel the suffering. To feel knowing what your children have done has actually brought them harm. And the Lord has compassion and does not bring on a disaster. He was very right to do. We just talked about the Ten Commandments and the blood oath that they had taken. So Moses comes down from the mountain carrying the two stone tablets written by the finger of God. How precious these stone tablets are. And when Moses approaches the camp and he sees the golden calf, he sees them dancing and doing all their other wicked things. And so what does Moses do? He throws the stone tablets down and crushes them into pieces. The precious gift of God so Moses dramatically and symbolically illustrated what the people had done. I wonder why he did that. That was a symbol of what God's people had done in their relationship with him. The people had broken the covenant. Sin and idolatry breaks relationships. Then Moses confronts his brother, Aaron. In verse 32, Moses said to Aaron, what did this, can you hear the exasperation of Moses? What did this people do to you that you would have brought such great sin upon them? It's like, what were you thinking? (laughs) I can almost hear Moses saying to Aaron, they broke the first commandment. With Aaron's response, He breaks another commandment, which is what sin does. It's a slippery slope of idolatry. He breaks the eighth commandment with his response. What's the eighth commandment? Bearing false witness. Lying. What's he say? He blame shifts. He shifts the blame onto the people. Listen to Aaron's response, verses 22, 23, and 24. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire. And out came this calf, uh, and this is why you got to read Scripture carefully. I mean, it's laying out a trail of breadcrumbs for us going, I mean, you've been with someone you knew that was kind of trying to slip off the truth, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, that's a pulling a fast one here. Uh, it, it just came out? No, he made it. He fashioned it with tools, as the Scripture clearly says. He shaped it in the form of a calf. So the first thing Aaron does in his people-pleasing nature when he is caught in sin is the sin about the sin. Oh, how I can relate to this. How did Aaron fall down the slippery slope of people-pleasing? How do we do the same? Fear of man. It's at the heart of it. We fear the judgment of man more than we fear the judgment of God. We fear rejection, we fear abandonment and criticism because we have trusted our identity and our security to the people of this world rather than the God of the universe. And this is a priest. We see the tragic consequences God does not leave the guilty unpunished. Those people who were blotted out from God's book of life, all those who were involved in the idol worship and the sacrifice were put to death with the sword. People were struck by a plague. But the most tragic consequence is yet to come. God told Moses they are not, uh, that, that they are to go into the land, but the Lord will not go with them. This is the fundamental consequence of sin. The ultimate consequence of any sin is broken relationship. And for Israel, it was losing the very presence of God. That's what made them unique from any other people in the world. God was with them. His presence was with them. But that's what sin ultimately does. It separates us. And this is true not only in the vertical but in the horizontal, as we think about our relationships here in this room and out into the world, sin seeks to kill and divide and to separate us. And our hope is in a reconciliation from God and God alone. Verse 30, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, but now, listen, listen, as Moses is going to now seek to reconcile the relationship. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Oh, can we see this Christ-type figure, Moses, this little C, Christ, that is emerging here. as We're seeing a foreshadow of a much greater mediator, the mediator, Jesus Christ, who says, I will stand in the gap. I will be the one who will bear the weight of their sin. It was Moses' practice to pitch a tent outside the camp of with a place called the Tent of Meeting. And and a pillar of cloud would come and talk with Moses. God would come and speak to him face to face like a friend. And it's in one of those encounters Moses asks God's presence to go with them. God says in, in Exodus 33, verse 14, he said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses asks for God to show him his glory. In verses 18 and 19 of Exodus 33, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so God commands Moses to make two new stone tablets, Moses in the morning chisels these two stone tablets. He goes up the mountain. He's up on Mount Sinai. The cloud comes down. The Lord passes in front of Moses. It's an amazing moment. God is passing in front of him, his glory. He claims who he is. Listen to this in verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Someone has to pay. Visiting the iniquity of of the fathers and on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so Moses asked forgiveness a second time in verses 8 and 9. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped, and he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. How do we know God forgave them? He renews his covenant with them. Verse 10. And he said, "Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among you, among whom you are, you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you." Unbelievable. After all these sins, the Lord is faithful towards them. Atonement, reconciliation. We see the good news. Their relationship with God is reconciled. So, that's the text. But what do we learn from these events about God and about us? Aaron's people-pleasing is ultimately a form of idolatry rooted in fear of man. And all idolatry leads to one outcome, death. Death of the one who serves the idol or death of the idol itself. The only escape from idolatry is repentance. When people sin, it breaks relationships. Sin separates us from God Sin separates us from others. Sin kills. But when sin is confessed, it opens up the possibility of a reconciled relationship. James 5, 16, James writes, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's what confession and forgiveness does. It brings healing. So the first lesson we learn from the golden calf event is that confession stops the cycle of sin while also restoring hope and healing. And when you confess your sin and your need for Christ, you know what happens? God is pleased with you not even for what you have done. Do not be mistaken. We do not please God for what we do, for even our ability to confess our sin is a gift of God himself. It's a gift of his word and his spirit that moves in our hearts that says, I am willing, God, to set aside my idolatrous, sinful heart and submit and confess to you. So why is God pleased? Because when he looks at you and me, you know what he sees? Jesus. He sees Christ. And that pleases him. He sees his son. How do I know this? Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says in 61:10, "I will re- greatly rejoice in the Lord; my soul shall be joyful in my God, for in other words, why for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You know, as I was studying this text, um, kind of blew me away because, if, I don't know if you picked up on the contrast here, but the people were taking off their ornaments to make the golden calf. And when they were having their confession with Moses, they yet again said, we are taking off our ornaments to show that we will keep this covenant. And now we're seeing from the prophet that we are now putting on a robe of righteousness. We are putting on the ornaments of Christ. We are taking off the things that are temporary and meaningless And we are putting on the eternal, the things that matter for all of life. I just thought that was like, wow, we are putting on Christ. The second lesson that we see here is that there are actually, you're all sitting down for this, there are actually two kinds of people-pleasing, godly and ungodly. We hear the word people-pleasing And we immediately think of ungodly. Do we not? Oh, I'm a people pleaser. I just kind of can't help myself. I like to please people. But you know what was happening in this? Moses is actually engaging in a form of godly people pleasing. Now hear me out. Were they happy with him in the moment? Probably not. It was probably really hard to hear. But do you think that being in good standing with God, knowing that he has now restored fellowship, not just today, not just going to the promised land, but for all eternity, does that not bring pleasure to our hearts, pleasure to our lives to know that no matter what happens in this world, what happens in our week this week, that we can have pleasure knowing that we are with God. That's people pleasing in a godly orientation. Aaron displayed an ungodly form. Why? He sought to please the people for his own benefit. And we've all been there. I've been there. I have to confess standing before you it's really tempting for me to want to feel your pleasure and that can be true of any pastor to say good sermon pastor you know what we love to hear this is what i learned about god today because that's allowing us to say you know what it never was about me it never was about pastor luke we're able to step aside and say it's all about christ That's godly people pleasing. That says, my goal in pleasing you is not for me. My goal in pleasing you is for the sake of Christ. And that's what Moses did. What was pleasurable in the moment brought death. What was pleasurable for eternity brought life. The Apostle Paul shows us another form of a godly people pleaser. In fact, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.33, I try to please everyone and everything. Whoa! <laughs> there is a people pleaser. We look at the context of that. Paul says in 10, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So the question for us today is not whether we seek to please others. The question is, why do we seek to please others? So to answer this question, I want to leave you with four uh, practical questions to take with you this week and these are not original to me this is from pastor marshall siegel i came across these in my study and i thought they were excellent first question how concerned am i with me paul says in galatians 1 am i now seeking the approval of man or of god or am i trying to please man if i were still trying to please man i would not be a servant of christ Can sound like Paul's kind of contradicting himself, isn't he, He tries to please everyone, and yet now he's saying, I don't want to please man. But the issue here is the motivation to please his neighbor. Is it for his sake or for the sake of Christ? So that's the first question we can ask ourselves. How concerned am I with me in this situation? Second question, what do I want most for this person? Am I thinking of this person's spiritual condition or am I more concerned about whether they're gonna like me or not? Is it my desire to to please these people? Is it a a desire uh, for them to be saved by Jesus, or is it a desire that I be seen as the one who saved them? Am I willing to be overlooked, to be forgotten, maybe even despised or mocked, if it might mean this person can finally grow and see Jesus? And that brings us to the third question, Am I content to get out of the way? This is where it gets tough. Am I willing to speak the truth in love? This is a Moses moment here. Am I willing to get down kind of in the dirt and say, this is is what you have done is wrong and it's going to hurt and this is what it says in God's word. But God loves you. God wants to be restored in relationship with you. Um, You may feel the attacks in fact, Jesus said, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. In other words, if you hear good things all the time, um, you're either tempted to a selfish form of idolatry or you're selling ice cream. I'm feeling you tip top. Um, I, I mean, I always say, if you, if you don't want to hear criticism, go sell ice cream. Um, unless the ice cream machine's not working, and then you're going to hear that criticism. But anyway. Um, You're gonna hear criticism. But the question is, can you in that moment say, are they upset with me or are they upset with the Lord? And that's that's what Marshall's saying here when he says, am I content to get out of the way? And the fourth, and the last question is, who gets the glory? The real distinction between ungodly people pleasing that Aaron stumbled in, and a God honoring people pleasing type of life that we saw Moses example, It's all about glory. As Paul said, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, pleasing everyone and everything you do, do all for the glory of God. So as we go out this week and we have opportunities to love and to serve our neighbors, and yes, to please them, by God's grace and by the leading of his Holy Spirit, may we all, point them to Christ in all that we do. May the glory that God receives in our work bring pleasure to him, pleasure to our neighbors, and pleasure to us. Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.